Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. And James, who are we talking to today? Well, we're talking to two people, um, and Tessa won't mind me saying this, but one of them is very, very special indeed, and it's not Tessa. It's Grace Taylor, who's, who used to work uh, in the war on an anti-aircraft gun team. Um, Tessa has been brilliant in um, bringing her to We Have Ways, and um, Grace and Tessa, you are both incredibly welcome thank you thank you yes lovely to meet you grace um now uh, tessa how did you how did you discover grace because you're 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 like a you know i, I was nearly called you a truffle hog then you're like <laughs> you get ability to that came out wrong your ability to find people um who uh have these incredible stories to tell um is unrivaled so how have you how have you come by grace well, Grace and I, I feel like we go back a long way, Grace, but it's actually only been 18 months. That's right. Yeah. It, because the, the WRAC wanted to find the oldest um, still alive ATS girl because there aren't many of us left now. And uh, because I still go to the Royal Artillery Association meetings, our committee put my name forward because I'm the only ex-ATS girl that goes to these meetings, you see. And so it was the WRAC that uh, started this going in the beginning, wasn't it, Tessa? I think that's how they found you. And then I wanted to write a book to acknowledge the anniversary of conscription for women, although Grace will probably jump in here and say, but Tessa, I volunteered before conscription for women was introduced. And so, um, and I wasn't interested in finding the oldest women, to be honest, because I thought they might not stay the course um, because I was doing this project during lockdown. And I did, in fact, lose four. But Grace is strong as an ox and just this morning said to me, Tessa, 97 you are, Grace. We're allowed to mention your age because it's something to show off about. Uh, and, and Grace, give them your health tip. You just gave me the most cracking health tip. I'm getting it all wrong, guys. <laughs> well, we can't have you not being well and the work you're doing, can we? But what did you tell me? How do you stay alive every day? What's your tip? I have fresh orange juice, pure orange juice every day. I've done it for years. And you, you've got to keep your vitamin C up. <laughs> right. OK. Well, I've got to say, Grace, I, what I'd like to do, if this is all right with you, is go back to sort of pretty much the beginning and, and ask you about where you were born and brought up and what your father did and have you had any siblings and, and so on. Well, in, in, the, in the very beginning, of course, um, we were a very happy little family and there were three girls. My older sister was two years older than me, but my younger sister was nine years younger than me. Um, so mum had us three girls. Dad was a very hard-working man. We were a very happy family. Unfortunately, mum died when I was 11. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but... Um, and it was, it was awful the way it happened because she'd only been in hospital a week and I didn't even know she was ill. And... Um, on this particular night, Dad had been seeing her after work. He would go and see her in the hospital, you see. And 
he would take us to an auntie while he was visiting her. Uh, on this particular night, we were walking along. He, my elder sister and I were, he was holding our hands and we were walking along and I said to him, who's with mum now then, dad? And he said, nobody, she died. Oh, Grace. I can understand that he needed to get married again because there was no way that he could look after three girls and, and do a full-time job. And what was his job? He worked for the Gaslight and Coke Company because we lived at Ilford, you see. Oh. He was in the First World War himself. He was a soldier. Um, and it, that was the only job he ever he ever did. And um, unfortunately, as I say, he, he really needed someone to look after us. So he remarried where he found this lady, I do not know. But she wasn't a bit like my mum. My mum loved us. But she wanted my father, but she didn't want us girls. Well, my sister was 13, you see, and she came up to 14 and they sent, they put her into domestic service. Well, I, I was 12 at the time he'd got married, so I had a couple of years to stay with my stepmother. But as, before I was 14, she put me into domestic service as well. Goodness. So where were you working? I, I hadn't even had my 14th birthday. So she was just left with my my little sister, who by then, of course, was what, nearly four. Wow. And so where did you go and work, Grace? I, I, I was sent down to South End. Well, Westcliff, actually, which is next to South End. Hmm. Because this woman that he married was a, a farmer's daughter and he, he bought the bungalow and she didn't want mum's furniture, so he had to store that and replaced all the furniture for her. Um, he did all he could for her, but um, the facts still remain that he'd only got the my young sister with him. And, of course, when one of my aunties went to visit him on one occasion and she saw how... They were treating young Anne, and she said, I'm not leaving her here with you. She said to my father, I'm taking her back with me. So uh, so he lost all three girls. Goodness me. As far as I was concerned, um, I, I didn't like being in, in service. I'd never done housework before. <laughs> and I, there was a small child there, and I was supposed to feed her and look after her. I'd never looked after a child before. I, I thought myself, well, I'm going to have to do something. I, I then found a job in Rayleigh, Essex, right. gradually working my way back towards London, you see. Uh, while, when I was there, I got a job in, in service again, but it, it was a different situation and I had the evenings off and I could go dancing. I love ballroom dancing. Yeah. When I was with, with mum and dad, of course, dad liked dancing and, and he used to dance with my sister and I ballroom dancing, even when we were young girls, you know. Did you still have any contact with your father? No. Oh, goodness Christ, that's so tough. Yeah, because in actual fact, my stepmother went walked out on him. He hadn't got us girls and he hadn't got a wife. She walked out on him and went back to her farm life with her, her mother and father were the farmers, you see. Wow. And did you have any more contact with your sisters? Uh, oh, yes, yes. I was very, very close with my older sister. But, of course, my, my younger sister was being brought up by with different aunts and uncles all her life, really. 
It must have taught you the most incredible resilience. I mean, it's a sort of sink or swim kind of situation, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I knew I'd got to stand on my own two feet, you see, so it, it makes you strong. I don't think I've met any woman who liked being a domestic servant. One in four girls between the wars were in domestic service. Mm. And it's, it was such a lonely job for you, Grace, wasn't it? You were lonely. You're the only staff, you see. There's no, there's no, you can't have any friends as such. But I, I was lucky in this sense that being in Brentwood, and, and I knew they, they had a dance hall there, and um, I, I started going when I did have evenings off after I'd served dinner <laughs> and cleared up. I could then get changed and, and go and have a dance for a couple of hours. And what about the people you were working for? I mean, were they decent to you? Oh, they were, they were very nice people, yes, they were. They were business people. He was a dress designer, in actual fact, in, in London. And his two uh, um, daughters were, well, I suppose, in their 20s. And they were, they were actresses, you know. They were in films. They were very pretty girls. But they, they looked after me. I, I, they used to give me their uh, dresses that they didn't wear anymore, so I had some nice dresses. <laughs> Grace, Grace, tell them about um, your first hug and t- tell them about what happens because you meet someone very significant dancing in these cast-off dresses, don't you? Yes, I did, you see, because, I mean, they, 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 my, my wages were £2 a month. It was like t- <laughs> 10 bob a week. <laughs> but, of course, they fed me and, they, they, and I had a, a nice little room of my own. But anyway, these uh, evenings when I went dancing, I... I Palled up with this this young soldier, and uh, he was stationed at Wally Barracks just outside um, Brentwood. The war had begun at this point. Oh yes, it had. Oh yes, yes. He was he was in the army. He was in the Ordnance Corps. He was a blacksmith actually. Um, yes, but he, we, you know, we'd been going going dancing. He was my my only boyfriend. You see, my my first and only boyfriend, and. Uh, you know, it was quite pleasant that those uh, few months, but then they they told him he, he was, they were posting him away. So he came to where I worked one morning and told me that he was going away. I was quite upset, actually. Okay. And although we kept in touch, we kept in touch, and and <laughs> I got the stupid idea that if I, if I joined up, I might meet him if I, if I was, if I joined up in the <laughs> army. <laughs> I might meet it. Stupid now, I know, but at the time, you know, I thought I'd, I'd do anything to see my my Eddie again. <laughs> anyway, um, I did join up, and um, I was selected to go into the Royal Artillery. Wow, just like that. Just like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I when I joined up, I didn't tell anybody I was going to join up, but I had to go down back to South End um, to do it. So I waited for my half day off, caught a bus from Brentwood to South End. And uh, and went and signed on. I had my medical and everything was okay. But then they said, "We'll we'll let you know, you know, when we when we've got enough girls to all do to all go together." Uh, Grace, what were you what were you expecting to do? Did you did being in the artillery take you by surprise? Or? I had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, they they, they do their selection tests, you see. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't know anything about the army. It's just that um, I thought, well, that would be nice. I like the idea of wearing a uniform. 
Uh, I, I didn't. And, and Grace, your timing, her timing was really good. This was 1941. And two things are interesting about Grace's story. She signed up before the mandatory age of 17 and a half because you could lie about your age, couldn't you, Grace? Because you had no parents getting in your way. So many did um, put their age on. Lo- lots of girls did. But you see, they never asked for a birth certificate. Nobody ever checked it. And um, I just didn't mention it again to anybody. But you see, you go in as a girl and you come out as a woman. (laughs) And the other thing that's interesting about Grace's story is in 1941, in the April, so conscription's December, but in the April, they they tear up the rule book because they're desperate and Mm. they allow women onto operational sites and this mass selection process starts because they don't want any old girl. They want girls who can operate really high tech equipment on the gun sites because one of the big complaints by um general Pyle has been you know the the boys that he gets are basically the duds the royal artillery all the good guys want to go off abroad want to go to the front line they're selected and he sort of complains oh you know when they double up to the gun their glass eye falls out you know and (laughs) and he goes to the war office and says girls are going to be able to do this better and he's done the homework before the war he saw this would happen he got this female engineer to prove in inverted commas that girls could do the job. Now, you can see Grace is a gift. I mean, God, she is a gift for any historian to write about. But we had a few arguments, didn't we, Grace, or, or differences of opinion? Because one of the things was you girls were never allowed to operate or go anywhere near the guns, were you? Well, uh, no, certainly not when there were raids on, when we were actually, you know, on, on duty doing our, our serious work. But, I mean, of course, we did know we'd been into the gun pits and, um, when we were off duty, not necessarily off duty, but just practicing, you know, we were allowed to walk along and see what, what happened. And Can you explain to, to Alan and James what you actually did, what the, what the gun site looked like and what you, where your part was? Yes. In, in the centre was uh, the instruments that the girls were working, and that was a predictor, a height finder and a spotter. And uh, you, you had a, a sort of a low wall built around you, so you had a certain amount of you know, protection. Yeah. And, and and around the command post were four, three, what they call 3.7 very large guns. Uh, the men, of course, worked the guns because they, they could carry the, the ammunition. They were very big shells. Yeah. And, and, of course, their job was to, was to look after the guns and keep them clean and, and line them up and... and replace the uh, ammunition that they'd used. They had to do that through the day when we weren't busy. And, of course, the girls were working on the instruments to work out. You've got to, first of all, find the plane and you've got to recognise the plane to know it's it's yours or not yours. And uh, and then, of course, you, you've got to set your instruments on them and follow them. And and my job was to, was to find the, the bearing and the angle and the height of the actual plane. Um, and the predictor did much the same thing. And uh, you have to do lots of practice as well before you actually go on doing, you know, your serious firing. But you see, the men needed the girls to tell them where to fire. And the girls but needed nice. the men to do the firing. So, you know, we needed each other. They were mixed heavy ACAC batteries, you see. Grace, I'm sorry to sorry, sorry to interrupt just then. Um, I suppose I, I, I'm just thinking about the fact that you, you know, you were you left school before you should have done. You were sent off into service. 
you, you learn some resilience, but but suddenly you're actually being doing something which is of great value to your country, but also which involves using your brain and learning a skill. I mean, presumably that, that must have been, again, that's the sort of thing you either kind of completely relish and take on board and find rewarding, or you would kind of sort of slightly um, or, or struggle with it. And presumably you you relished it, did you? I was I'm still, I, I was still educated. Uh, I, I, I was quite educated <laughs> and, I, and I did very well at, at school. And um, as I say, I wasn't silly. <laughs> and I could pick things. Up. <laughs> I could pick things up because I was in service. Was, I mean, it was only three or four years, wasn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> and that uh, I I I knew what they were talking about. And and when you're going through all your training, of course, you 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 listen and and you you take it all in and you remember it all. And 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 I was good at my job. And when you're good at your job, you do it better, don't you? And. In a way, this was where people talk about the People's War and there's all this kind of romantic, nostalgic notion of what the war did. But it really did change Grace's life. It bumped her out of not just a pedestrian girl's world, but a demeaning pedestrian girl's world. And, and she came in just at the right time in 41 when they were selecting, rigorously working out the best girls for the job. 30,000 girls were orderlies, were domestic servants within the ATS, not our Grace. You know, she was absolutely cutting it. She was doing the job Mary Churchill did in my book, Martha, Lady Martha Bruce, you know, that she was immediately selected. This was the sort of place where the top end girls went and Grace. Well, that was my point, really. I suppose, suppose, I suppose, what I was trying to make out was that clearly Grace is a very bright person, uh, and and I, I can see that if you've been sort of held back in life through circumstances, to suddenly have the opportunity to take responsibility, use use your obviously very able brain, that's something that you, you that, that Grace clearly jumped at, and and good honour for doing so. I I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed it. We, I mean, we we had some very frightening times, but. At the same time, I had friends then, you see. That's what I needed. I needed comrades. Yes. And and having such a lonely life after I lost mum, then, uh, you know, I sort of grabbed every opportunity I could to, to make friends. And uh, and I was with a lovely group of girls, and I stayed with the same girls all through uh, right until, um, you know, the ACAC was disbanded. Until Cathy Bott got pregnant, Grace. You couldn't get pregnant. Well, with two of my close friends were... But it was Lil Crow, Kathy Bott and myself, the three stooges. <laughs> and unfortunately, Kathy got pregnant. I don't know how or why, because we we were nearly always together, but she must have had the chance to break away. Because <laughs> 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 she had to be um she had to be sent home, you see. And uh, oh, they just left yeah. just left Lil and me. But <laughs> there was very, very strict rules. Paragraph eleven. You could not get illegitimately pregnant. You immediately disbanded off any gun site, weren't you, Grace? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that until Kath got pregnant, you see. I mean, we never even thought about getting pregnant or even going, going with fellas. <laughs> no, you just... And had you, were you still in touch with, your, with, with Eddie? It was Eddie, wasn't it? Um... Yes, Eddie. We, we, um, we, we wrote to each other pretty often, well, practically every week. They, they sent him out into the Middle East to um, Port Said. And um, Gosh. yes, so as I say, he. I, what the last letter I had from him, he said, um, "I haven't heard for so long, so I, I assume you must have found yourself another boyfriend." Well, I hadn't, of course, but it was just that our letters were held up, and he said, "If ever I, 
if ever I, I meet him, I will, um, I'll tell him what a lucky guy he is. But, of course, I, 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 from then on, of course, I didn't write again. I thought, well, if he thinks I've got somebody else and I haven't, so, you know. I, I... But, but you did find someone, didn't you, Grace? But it's really just before we fall into her amazing love story, because there is quite a, a special moment in that love story. Hopefully you'll be prepared to share it, Grace. Um, there was absolute fear. You've got no idea how panicked the war office were about putting, asking women to serve alongside men. And it wasn't just the war office. The, the generation above Grace, the parents, they were just so anxious about the idea of women being in these dehumanising uniforms, working alongside men. And there was a parliamentary committee established to uh, to get rid of derogatory rumours, rumours derogatory to the service. And they actually counted, this parliamentary committee counted and proved there were more illegitimate pregnancies outside the military services for women than inside them. That was the fear around this idea of, you know, girls getting the wrong idea in uniform. But Grace, you absolutely, what, what, what's the expression you used? You kept your knees together, didn't you, Grace? <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> that's what she told me <laughs> but you meet you meet your bob tell them how you meet your bob i was a virgin when i got married yeah <laughs> yes but you see um we had a driver um which who wasn't in the artillery but he was attached to us to do the driving we had two or three drivers but this particular one you know our eyes met and um we, we fell in love to cut a long story short, oh. we, we, our, our only courtship really was in the naffy, um, you know, in, in the evening when we were off duty. But um, then we decided we, we thought it would be a good idea to get married and, and he got his sister to do all the arranging. And um, uh, in 1944, we came back to London on four days leave and, and we, we got married. It was all arranged for us. Wait a minute. Tell them about the nighty. Tell them about the nighty. Well, on one of the raids, I was stationed on a gun site um, between Cheltenham and Gloucester. And that was the only time, really, that I wasn't on the coast. But anyway, we, we were firing this night and and uh, this plane, we, we got it and the plane came down and and um, the pilot bailed out with his parachute. And we, we watched the parachute coming down and it was just a few fields away. It was out, out in the country, of course. And... Um, we saw him come down. When we were stood down from from that particular raid, um, the girls that were on duty, I mean, there was only about 10 of us, we were told that if we liked to go and find this parachute, we could share it. Well, of course, we did find it eventually, and um, we did share it. All the, and it wasn't all the girls didn't want a piece, but I mean, I, I thought that'd be rather nice because I'd never seen white nylon before. And uh, <laughs> so I had this piece. And, and my older sister, who was, she was not allowed to call up, to be called up. So she was still in working in London. She she made a nightdress for me out of it. And she really did oh, it. Nice. It was a lovely nightdress. And uh, of course, that was kept for my first night. Well, it wasn't used. But at least I had him. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was the story of the parachute. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> we need to take a short break right now. We'll be back in a second with Grace. Grace. 
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. We're talking to Tessa Dunlop and Grace from the ATS. Grace, um, you mentioned there were a few frightening moments. I mean, are you able to, can you, are you willing to talk about those? Um, well, I was stationed um, on Crown Hill on a gun site, um, just, just overlooking Plymouth. And I was there when Plymouth was flattened. Wow. And... We could see it all going on. Of course, we were firing all night. We were on duty all night, of course, and it was cold and miserable. But anyway, um, it, it was dreadful. The noise was awful, not not just with the guns, but, of course, with the planes and, and the searchlights. And it, it was a terrible, terrible noise. Anyway, when it was all over, the, the girls that had been on duty, we came off duty in the morning and they said, if... If we wanted to go into town, we could. So my little group of girls, we all walked, we could walk to the town from where the site was. And we went down to town and uh, the people that had shops were trying to collect what, what they could rescue from their stock, you see, in the rubble. And, and this particular chap, he had a table out, like a paste table he'd, he'd uh, put up and he was trying to collect his... Cosmetics, and I assume it was a a, a chemist. I don't know. And um, we were looking on this table at some of the stuff that he'd rescued, and uh, he had California poppy, and that was my favourite perfume. <laughs> and I hadn't had it for a long time. And I, oh my goodness, I've got to buy some of that. And they were it was sixpence a bottle. <laughs> so I, I bought a couple of bottles of this California poppy, and he also had. Evening in Paris, that was in little blue bottles. <laughs> so um, 
it helped me, helped me forget the dreadful night before because I was so pleased about getting me perfume. What's interesting about Grace's story is there was this real concern that by putting women in uniform, quote unquote, this is the parliamentary committee, you'd be hardening Britain's future wives and mothers. Somehow they'd lose their femininity. And there was this great emphasis on girls having to retain their femininity while at the same time being turned into soldiers and doing the drill and the PT, the dreaded PT, eh, Grace? And Grace is a wonderful combination of that. Really hardy, up all night, firing away, but absolutely feminine to her core. You were like the perfect ATS girl. And you were also the exemplar of like someone who'd come from domestic service and proved that actually class was no boundary, that you could go where you needed to. I I always think she's like, you're like the model soldier, Grace, to be honest. Well, I like to think so. I mean, um, (laughs) I I, I, I do like to think so because I always looked after my uniform and I I was as smart as any girl could be. Um, I I went on on a... physical training course. I was the only PTI physical training instructor on, on the gun site. And, um, Amazing. Well, I, I like that because, yeah, I mean, I was pretty fit and, and, uh, and I still am, really, for my age. You certainly are. <laughs> How did you take to battle dress? Uh, well, we had, had to wear a battle dress with boots and gaiters, of course. We had nice yep. brown leather boots um, with our gaiters and our battle dress. Um yeah, I liked it. We had to wear that practically all the time. The only time we ever put our dress suit on was, was um, you know, when we were on parade, but that wasn't very often. It's also really interesting just quickly how the optics of war have changed. In the ATS, 770 women die. A couple of other women in, in the book, the Army Girls, they, they Daphne, for instance, her friend um, Dorothy died on a gun site, was hit by shrapnel because what goes up must come down. Often mm. girls and boys died from what they'd fired up into the sky, not from enemy raiders, not from the Luftwaffe themselves. Mm. But mm. so 770, nothing compared to the numbers of men, obviously quarter of a million or whatever, who died, British men. But if you look at today's optics in Afghanistan, a 10-year conflict, less than 500 British personnel die in that 10-year conflict. Now, we don't even think really of women losing their lives in the Second World War, except in the sort of total war, the Blitz, etc. And yet more girls die just in one service than doing that entire British personnel in that entire 10-year conflict. It's just really interesting, isn't it, the way in which our optics about the amount of loss we're prepared to conceive or or take has changed in in, in, in the last 80 years. Grace, did you consider it dangerous, or was it was 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 danger part of part part of the routine of being on uh, being uh, in the anti aircraft service, or or did you put that out of your mind? Well, um, we were we we tried not to show that we were frightened, of course, but I mean, there's always a chance. But I, I do know of a gun site which was exactly the same as the one I'm is on, um, down on the south coast, and. Uh, they were firing on this particular night because of the Nazis coming over, and uh, one of one of the planes dived. And he, I, I don't quite know what he used, whether it was machine guns or what it was on on the plane, but he fired at the gun site, and there were twelve killed on that particular night, girls and boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I think myself, well, wasn't I lucky that never happened to us? But you see, there, there were 300,000 ATS girls during the war. I don't think people realise how many there were. We weren't, weren't all on, they weren't all in the Royal Artillery, of course, but, but you know, it's, it's a lot of girls, isn't it? Yeah. 
It was the biggest military service, wasn't it? And I said earlier that we occasionally, what I find really interesting about Grace is something like the, the boy, only the boys could fire the guns. And Grace always says, oh, yeah, that's because the, the shells were really heavy and we couldn't have lifted them. But in other areas, more ATS girls were drafted into replace men if it was seen as physical work. But that it was really important to the war office that women retained that non-combatant status. It was absolutely vital. And Grace, you're absolutely a product of her generation where, where you believe that was the right the right thing. But in, in the same time, you're a time traveler because now you think, oh, well, girls can do what they like and good for them, don't you? You've got, you got kind of a bipolar vision there. Well, there's not, there's not much that, uh, that girls can't do, really. You know, I mean, they can keep up with the men any time now, can't they? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and you've outlived most of them. <laughs> Women can do most jobs now, yeah, can't they? Absolutely, yeah. Where were you when when victory was declared in Europe? It was late '44, I think. I think it was. I, it may have been the beginning of '45. I'm not sure. But um, the gun sites were got rid of. They, we didn't need. They didn't need the heavy guns anymore because most of the fighting was done in the sky, wasn't it? So. I was sent to Glasgow with my friend. Uh, we were working on tanks then. They were bringing the tanks back from abroad to be re, re you know, painted and cleaned and serviced and that. And then I think they was being sent out again. At, at that point, they, they, they conscript women again to go abroad. There aren't enough volunteers and parents won't give their permission. But they exempt married women because obviously you need girls to back up your two million strong allied army going into Europe. And um, initially they think they'll get enough volunteers and Mary Churchill's, you know, off she sent as a sort of exemplar of, you know, you know poster girl for, for going into Europe. But only one in 30 girls get the permission. But I think, Grace, you probably didn't go because you were married to Bob, weren't you? And, and, and married women women were exempt. Yes, we got married in 44, you see, but they, there were no married quarters on gun sites, of course. <laughs> you couldn't do that. So we knew that when, when we went back to camp that he was going to be posted away. And, uh, of course, at the end of the war, they sent him to Germany. <laughs> but yeah. um, he was only there a couple of years. So, um, you know, uh, then, of course, uh, I was demobbed myself. And you were demobbed early because you were married, I think, weren't you? Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, but what I'll tell you something now that I've never had a chance to tell you, um, Tessa. When, when we were sent up to Scotland, they, they didn't recognise girls in pubs. Girls weren't allowed to go into pubs with only men. And uh, so when we did get any time off in the evenings, there was nowhere for us to go and nothing for, for us to do. Well, the transport picked us up. We were at St Johnston outside Glasgow, took us into Glasgow. And my friend and I went to the railway station and we bought a penny platform ticket each. You could buy these penny platform tickets so that you could wave people goodbye, you see. Well, we didn't. We got on the train and we came back to London because they didn't recognise Christmas in Scotland. You're so right. I grew up in Scotland. And- yeah. <laughs> That's really made me laugh because my mum married a Scot <laughs> and she couldn't get over the fact that there was no women in the pubs when she arrives up in the 1970s. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, we came down to London on this train through the night and it seemed a long, long journey, of course. And um, it was packed full of troops, you know, people going on, on soldiers and that going on leave. And uh, it was a... Carriage with a corridor, and uh, 
at the end of this corridor, there was sort of luggage racks. So my friend called up on one and I called up on the other. We had our great coats with us. We were in our dress um, uniforms and we covered ourselves with our coats and we curled up. Well, I can always remember an old, an old man came round with swinging a lamp. He was checking on parties or something, I think. But he didn't disturb us because he thought we were asleep. When we got to London, there was a raid on. And, of course, everybody gets up, gets out the train and, and runs. So, of course, we run with them. So we got out the station okay. And um, she went to her family and I went to my sister's. And we stayed away for a fortnight. And, uh, of course, we were in touch with each other. And I went to see her and I said, you know, I think we ought to start thinking about going back. So we went to the RTO on the station and he gave us um, passes to get back to Scotland. <laughs> and, and um, of course, when we got there, we reported that we'd been absent without leave. And um, uh, they gave us both, they put us on a charge, of course, and gave us seven days confined to barracks. But <laughs> You naughty girl, Grace, you never told me that. But I love the fact that you notice the Scots don't celebrate Christmas because it's, it's a really English tradition. The Presbyterians in Scotland are such scrooges about Christmas, even till now. That's right. Oh, is it? Is it the yeah. same now? Yeah, I know. No, no. Come on, it's changed. It's changed in the last... Yes, with respect to our years. Scottish listeners, yeah. But um, it's true, they'll <laughs> agree with you. Yeah, that's why Hogmanay is a much bigger than yeah, New yeah. Year's Eve celebration. Yeah. is way bigger. It used to be. Yeah. It's changed yeah. a lot in the last 30-odd years. Well, we wanted to celebrate Christmas. We didn't care about the New Year. So we, yeah. we came home to celebrate Christmas. But anyway, they gave us a seven-day CB and, and um, uh, it didn't make any difference because, I mean, we could only go into Glasgow anyway. There was nothing for us to do. So it wasn't really a punishment for us. I think they really sat with their tongue in their cheek, you know. And uh, shortly after that, of course, we were demobbed. But uh, <laughs> well. it was an experience. That's all I, all I can... I've never been to Scotland since. And the other thing about Grace's story is, unlike a lot of... The, the women I, I found and wrote about, it, it was almost a bit flat. They kind of had this amazing experience because it did change women's lives, that generation. And then they kind of just do what the beverage report says, breed for Britain. They go back, get married, have babies. And that and the last, often it was the only job they had. Their reference from the war was the only reference they had. Whereas Grace, you used it. You kind of, it changed your life. You had this extraordinary career, didn't you? Tell them briefly what you did. You went, first of all, in the GPO, a big job, and then set yourself up. Well, when I when I came out, you see, I knew I, I'd got to earn money, of course, um, to, to get a home together. I was a, a new, you know, bride, and um, uh, I I just my sister said to me she was in the GPO as a telephonist, and she said, "Well, why don't you come? You know, why don't you join?" Well, I did, and I passed me tests, and and um, it, it's quite a strict training. There's quite a lot to do. And I was used to And then you own all those pubs and stuff. So you're a publican, aren't you? You have restaurants and pubs. Uh, well, I was a GPO telephonist. Well, they, they took me on and um, and I was that for 20 years. And at the end of Amazing. 20... Yes, at the end of 20 years, um, my husband said... Um, he, I, I knew he always wanted to go into the licensed trade because his parents had a pub. And... Um, and I said, yeah, okay, we'll do that. We've been saving, you know, and you need quite a bit of money when you go in, <laughs> go into the trade. So we did. We did. We we had a, a public house in um, Somerset, and and then we've been there about six, seven years. And we then we um, had a hotel also in Somerset, and we had three bars there and a skittle alley, and 
Not bad mm. for someone who begins as a servant girl age 14, yeah. is it? Mm. Incredible. <laughs> yes. Incredible, yeah. Grace. Yeah. She's, I've got to say, when I first met Grace, she made me, that story she told me made me cry so much. I, she's, you're a cracking woman, Grace. You're a good friend and a, I love Grace. Just in case you think you can, you feel free to fall in love with Grace because she's the something about you, a very big hearted, amazing, amazing woman. Amazing. Well, you've had an amazing life, that's for sure. Yes, you certainly have, Grace. Yeah, I I mean, often, sometimes I get nights where I don't sleep, you know, and I I go through the whole lot and I think, oh, my God, didn't you do a lot in your life? (laughs) (laughs) I look back on it now. I don't think it at the time. I've always always been a hard worker and, and of course, I've been able to to cook. I used to do all the cooking in the pub and the hotel. And Yes, yeah, very busy. Tough. And you know, Amazing. domestic service was a bit like boarding school. The two polar ends of the class system, those who'd been to boarding school and those in domestic service seemed to do best in the in the, in the military services. They'd been away from home, they'd been in a uniform, they'd been treated pretty roughly sometimes. And Grace is a, is a cracking example of surviving in the face of adversity, yeah. aren't you, Grace? Yes, because you see, yeah. really that going into service, that was really only a stepping stone. As I say, I, I went in as a girl and came out as a woman, yeah. I've had a lovely Amazing. life. I mean, the, the man I married, he was he was wonderful. And he spoiled me rotten. He worshipped the ground I walked on. And even, even a couple of days before, he was only in hospital um, a week when he suddenly died. And the last thing he said to me was, when I get out of here, he said, we're going to go back dancing again. Oh. But of course, he didn't come out. Oh, mm. I'm sorry. And do you know that was 30 years ago? I lost my husband. Yeah, I was 67 then. And I'm 97 oh, Grace, now. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, we love you, Grace. You're an absolute mm. diamond. Yes, it's, it's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Really fantastic. Yeah, it has. It's been wonderful. Yeah, and and yeah. what an insight and what a remarkable person you are. So yeah. thank you very much for sharing for sharing your memories and... Well, do, you, do you know, I, I went to, um, yesterday, Sunday, I, I, I went to the Royal Artillery Association because I still go to their meetings now. I'm their president, you see, of the Paul branch. Amazing. And I, I went to their luncheon yesterday, what they call a St. Barbara's lunch. She was our patron saint of the Royal Artillery. And, um, of course, when the, the speeches were given after the meal... It was mentioned about Tessa's book, of course, and um, because she's met some of the people, she's met our chairman and secretary and so forth um, on her visits. Because recently, Tessa and I did a show at the Lighthouse in Paul. No, we've got out there, haven't we, Grace? But I think they need to go now. But thank you. She's, Grace got the mention of the book in. Do you see? Well primed. No, very, go, very strong. Go, yeah. go. Well, <laughs> well we'd, we'd also, we'd, we'd love you to come back um, in July. If you if you if you're game, come, really come talk at, at our war fest. Yeah, and listen, Grace yes. is mobile with Lorraine. She's got this cracking carer, and uh, you'll get in a car, won't you, Grace? She sits well in the front, and we scootle about. So uh, maybe we'll get well, Grace up to do a live turn. Well, that'll be next that'll year. Be then. Wonderful. Just got to stay alive yes. and drink that orange juice, Grace. Keep drinking the orange juice <laughs> every day, Tessa. Don't miss it. Every day. Don't miss it. And make no mistake, boys, not cordial. It's got to be fresh orange juice. It costs a pound an hour. Yeah, no, yeah? no. Okay, <laughs> good. A bottle that lasts you about five days. That's it. That's the that's the job. Okay, so off the cigarettes well, and onto the orange you. juice. Keep it in thank the Thank you fridge. so much. 
Thank you very much. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you again soon. Cheerio. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.